Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble falling asleep, getting to sleep? Welcome. I believe. I hope you're in the right place. This is Sleep With Me. Well, Game of Sleep With Me is proud to present Game of Drones, the Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with an episode discussion. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What do you mean by the rest? What is this podcast? I just got a phone for Christmas. I've been looking at these podcasts. I love cereal. Uh, the serial podcast why well, just somebody said your podcast was on the internet and I looked it up and it, there it was with what's going on here well uh, basically I'm gonna distract you I'm gonna talk about Game of Thrones uh, episode and stuff and, and a lot of it won't even be related to Game of Thrones I'll be perfect it'll be uh, tertiary maybe I don't know and I'll just talk and then I'll you know Meander, I'll get it like like this. I'm not getting to the point. And all you need to do is get in bed, turn off the lights, and press play and listen. I'm gonna create a safe place where you can set aside any racing thoughts, any uh, you know, uh, any stuff running through your brain. Post holiday blues, post holiday bills, any of the post holiday bees, bees. You know, if you if some you found a beehive and they're buzzing. Or I guess if you haven't found it, they'd be buzzing. If you found it, they'd be uh, no longer with us. But we need bees. And I don't know what, what winter and bees have have to do with you. You know, I don't, do bees hibernate? Does anybody know? So that's the podcast. That's like a little nugget. Basically, all we're going to do is you're going to take my hand. And we're going to walk into one of those proverbial, um, what this thing's called? Like a giant armoire that has clothes in it. We go inside, we close the door, we step through a gateway into, you know, a secret garden or where Aslan would be king or, um, you know, a secret um, garden-like place. But instead you're going to trap, you know, take a step into my curiously strange imagination, but that is primarily dull lulling. And, and, you know, not in a mean way, but a a little bit boring. And I'm like, that's it. Instead of worrying and stuff, just take my hand. Let's go. Come with me, and you'll see a world of pure freaking boredom. Uh, when we begin, I already began when I was talking out of hand. I don't know, it's not a singing podcast. I do the singing on the bloopers, which are on SoundCloud and Facebook. And it's pretty bad, so, you know, I'm trying to help you fall asleep. So hopefully that just, you know, create a little familiarity, a rapport, if you will, for anyone new in the, from the holidays. But yeah, I'm just here to help you fall asleep. That's it. I don't have a, I don't have a course I'm selling, a course in uh, sleeping or a uh, sleep, uh, sleep-related drink, you know, full of neutrinos and, you know, other things. I don't have that. I'm just here to bore you to sleep. I just want to, you know, it's a little... Uh, I've suffered from insomnia. I've suffered from sleepless nights. And I just happen to, this is, you know, what I do. Why? It's a whole nother ball of wax. We'll see why. How about that? So hopefully this helps you fall asleep. That's what I'm here for. We're on the web. www.sleepwithmepodcast.com is the website. You can find older episodes, 
there. Show notes by Damon D on the backup. Uh, you can get a hold of me at feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can tweet me at Dearest Scooter. You can find us on Facebook, as I said, or you can comment on the website. I'd love to hear from you. That's it. We're a podcast to put you to sleep. This one, Sunday nights, is Game of, Thron- Game of Drones, which is our Game of Thrones podcast for at least for the next uh, 15 weeks or so. And um, I don't know. I think I had a point. Oh, on Tuesday and Thursday nights, we have non-Game of Thrones episodes. So you can check those out. And I hope I help you fall asleep. Hey, guys, it's me, grat- Gratitude Nan. I had a gratitude song. Um, but I can't. It's like, I'm about to ride it. But I can't remember. I think it's a train song. I don't want to ride it. I don't even think you could hear that. If you if you had music and you knew popular music that was old, that you may hear at a wedding or a retirement party. That would be it. Everybody's going to ride it. I don't, and ride it, I think. But that's what we're riding here, gods, is a gratitude express of uh, elephants sized gratitude this week because it's the holidays between New Year's and Christmas. Or wait, is it the other way around? But anyway, guys, I want to thank you for Posty Posterson music, uh, Scotty Bobati and Jennifer on the iconic, 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 iconic. Pronunciation's been off this year, guys. End of 2014, my pronunciator's out of gas. My brother Ken on the uh, game of oh I kind of Scott and Jennifer on the art. My brother Ken on the uh, game of drones only art. Lord Lady, the uh, defenestrator, the uh, silver tone and gods. I don't know what is going on, but ever since I mentioned uh, the funder from down under, uh, Harrison and Tom, our buddies, we have been blowing. I don't know, I guess it, you don't know what blowing up is, guys, because I don't know if you had, uh, what's that stuff called, gunpowder, but we've been blowing up in Australia, so I want to thank the funder from Down Under for bringing the fun and the laughs. And again, I don't know, I don't exactly know if the ticker tape meant by funder from Down Under, but it sounds good, So we, we, and it sounds fun. So maybe that's it, guys. So thank you. But we got a long list of thankfulness here, gods. Casey B. said something about us on his blog. Thank you, Casey. Phil L. Jeannie made comments. New listeners, thank you. Lori B.H. on Facebook. John Triple G. Uh, a little under the C action with John. Thank you. Happy Mom on Twitter. Dan C. Joe P. David T. This is our second David in a week, gods. We're We're... We may, I may, you know, I might have to start a license, you know, with this novelty license plate thing, gods. Adrian, 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 uh, said hi, old, old, old listener, long time listener. She drove 24 hours in a car, but also like, uh, I saw Adrian, Adrian's, Adrian, Adrian, uh, her, uh, Twitter handle, and then I was like, wait a second, hey, money, I got her. We had Mokshagrin from the Audio Bonside podcast. And then we have Adrian. Adrian is Mosher Havoc, or Mosher Havoc. 
Moksha Grin and Moksha Havoc. They should, you guys should look each other up and uh, have some babies. If you, you know, if you're so inclined. So, cause, uh, then we could have like Moksha Mug, you know, a lot of M, you know, hard stuff for me to say, but when it starts with M, it's, you know, and then it's Moksha Mug. It's already mush mouth, you know, mush mouth friendly. M, M. So, thank you, Laura L. Susurant, I believe. I hope I didn't mess that up. Susurant. It's like the, uh, she's like the impressionistic version of Suzanne. Paula, Catherine H, Sue F, Val W, all of you, saying hi, support. Oh, droves and droves of support this season. All the other listeners that have emailed me, long-time listeners, uh, you know, I care about you too, but you uh, God's no, God's, you better be watching over. Oh, speaking of, uh, thanks for nothing. God's, you know, my bike got stolen, crone. That's the third robbery, uh, two listeners, you know, and now me. So thanks, you know, crone for uh, telling me the future. Well, you, I guess you'd usually just tell me, you give me that panic that the future's going to be bad. But give me some specifics, at least, crone. Frick. So that's it, Gads. But really, thank you for the support of the listeners lifting me up on the wings of point. Well, um, the listeners aren't pointless. I I can be pointless. So you know, code co co pointlessness is so wonderful, and it wouldn't be possible without you, Gads, passively sitting up there judging us and you know causing stuff to happen to test us and make us grow. So thanks so much for uh, kicking back and enjoying our follies down here on Earth, especially a season full of folly, jolly, holly stuff. All right, guys, I'm checking out. Thank you so much. All right, so tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 8, The Prince of Winterfell. And uh, it talks out, it comes out with uh, Theon, you know, these horses come, he's a little bit, he's got that confused face, his sister rolls in with other riders, and he's like, wait a second. And, uh, you know, question, why is it the Prince of Winterfell has written there? And then uh, she, his sister's kind of belittling him. He's like, well, I'm mad or whatever. She's like, oh, the little boy's prisoners ran away, and you got mad and had to do something, you know, arguing about his worth as a, as a military mind or a leader. And his sister's like, yeah, I'm here to bring you back. And it's kind of in front of all her men. So it kind of becomes a little bit of a, even though she's a, a woman, she's, you know, much tougher and more uh, of a leader of men than Theon. So, so the kind of, and she's like, hey, guys, just leave us alone. I got to, you know, my brother's trying to be tough. Let me, she acts like she's going to out-tough him. But really, she puts on the kid gloves. She's like, little brother, man, I'm here to bring you back. You know, we both loved our mom. We endured our father. She's like, I got a bad feeling about this one, to quote Han Solo. She's like, come home. Come with me. Don't die here alone. You know, you're so far from the sea where people were sea people. And he says, I know, I'm a, you know, you don't know me. You know, a typical, uh, a little bit of, uh, I think, self-hatred. That'd be my... um pseudo-psychology for me on my, uh, we talked about on my pseudo-psych pod. Oh, wait, that one was shut down. I couldn't even legally mention it again. Sorry. Um, but, um, you know, is he, is he, uh, is he full of self-hatred or some kind of self? 
But he says, leave me alone, sister. I, I got this covered. I'm, you know. And she says, okay, whatever. Then we're in the north. We got the Lord of Bones, who's kind of a little bit creepy. He's talking about John, and, and he says, you know, if he runs, you know, the, the Greeks trying to say, don't, let's not kill John, let's keep him alive. Uh, I vouch for him that the, uh, what's the guy, me, um, I don't know, the king of the, king of, of the north or whatever, he, he's going to want to talk to him. It's Ned Stark's kid. Then we run into the half-hand, John, who's also a prisoner, trying to save John. You know, he was originally trying to save John. Then we bounce back to Rob and Talissa. They're talking about arranged marriage and his marriage over a bridge. And then he, Rob's talking about how much he loves his dad and justice. And then we got uh, Rob and Kat, you know, who Kat set Jamie loose. That was like a daughter's first policy, a daughter's first, you know, before Rob, what Rob wants. She was putting her daughter's first. And he's like, get out of my sight. Then we're with Brienne. She sets the horses free. Jamie's like, can I get your name? And he's really pestering her. She's like, Brienne Tarth, all right? And he he knows all about it. He's like, oh, I know the sigil of Tarth. I know a lot about Tarth. And then you, you can make a supercut of how many times they talk about boredom in Game of Thrones. He says, has anyone told you you're as boring as you are ugly? And there is Jamie's such a terrible person. Like confident and witty, it is like delightfully. He's delightfully awful, I guess would be the right word. And then he's trying to goad her into a fight. He's like, "Do you think you could beat me in a fight? There's only three people I know of that could beat me in a fight. We all know somebody like this. And maybe that they're not as delightful as Jamie is in the because he's an actor. I mean, I'll be honest, but you know." But Brienne's like, you know, she's like, I'm not having any of your garbage, Kingslayer. You're a coward. I'm not. I'm a woman of honor. You're a man with no honor. We covered that last episode. Then we're with Tywin. And he's talking to his uh, cronies. He's like, they're going to stop. You know, they're talking about Stannis getting to uh, the King's Land. He's like, they're going to stay and fight Stannis. And we better get on the road. We'll get out, head out. And then uh, Arya's like, oh, I'm trying to have this man killed. And we have uh, we hear uh, Hot Pie talking about Cherry Pie or something, and uh, that's like again. I said it, I think in season four, if this if Hot Pie ever started a podcast, I would be out of business because he's boring. She's like, "Where's Jacquin or Yakin or whatever Yakin? I don't know. Where's that guy that talks in the third person?" And we're up in the north, a half and. Is telling Jon Snow, hey, I don't think you need to be a double inside agent and, you know, act like a traitor. And Jon's like, well, wait, I don't know. I don't have a frame of reference for that. I've never seen any movies. And, you know, half hands like, oh, you know, wait a second. You don't, you don't have movies. So wait a second. Uh, double, you know, just pretend you're one of them. I'll pretend I hate you. Then we're back. We're with Tyrion and Bronn. Bronn's cleaning his hands or his nails with a compass. He's really getting on. Tyrion's nerves. He's like, Tyrion's like, do you have to do that here? And then he's like, why, why don't you wear a gold cloak again? He's like, that's part of our agreement. He's like, you know, you need to wear a gold cloak. And, um, and then he's like, wait, wait, why are you looking at me? I'm trying to study here. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? What do you, why am I here? He's like, I need you to help me plan. 
Then I have a piece of uh, writing that's undecipherable. C-H-I-V-A, it looks like an A-L-I-S, T-Chivalaste, Chival, I don't know, my handwriting's terrible, so something about that. Varys comes in, he's like, hey, you know, uh, hey, my, our hand, I got good news, there's been a market drop in thievery. And he's like, Tyrion's like, well, Bronn, what's up with that? He's like, oh, me and the lads rounded up all the known thieves. And he's like, for questioning? He's like, no, 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 no. We, you know, there's no more of those guys. He's like, now we'll, we'll have to worry about the unknown thieves. Another brilliant piece of writing there. And then, but then, they don't, and that's just done with that, like, wit. Then they say, you know, what? you can't just do that. That's a, he's like, Varys, back me up. And, and Ron's like, okay, let me hold some court here. Have you been in a city under siege? You know, it's not the fighting you got to worry about. It's the starving. You know, food becomes worth more than its weight in gold. And the thieves are the first ones that take it and stockpile it. So you can thank me later, Mr. Uh, Brainiac. And then Varys is like, hey, man, what are you going to do? And, and and Tyrion's like, well, I gotta, I think I'm thinking like Stannis. He's going to attack this mud gate, I'm pretty sure. Then we're back in the north. We got Sam and Gren and the other guy that I like, but I just don't know his name. They're digging latrines, and then they find this, like, marker, and then they move it, and it's like, that's from the first men. And they find a horn, which I never noticed before. They find a package wrapped up in a cloak of uh, one of the Night's Watch, but it's uh, it's got a horn inside, and then all this dragon glass, which they call it obsidian, all these, like, uh, arrows, arrowheads, and spearheads, and knives. Then we find Arya finds Jacquin, 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 and he says, she says, where have you been? He's like, a man has patrol duty, my dear. And she says, well, if I need you to take somebody out, how long is it going to take? He says, a minute, an hour, a month. He goes, you know, if I'm going to take him out, that's certain. The time is not. And she's like, oh, dear, like, T- T- Tywin just left. Oh, man, what am I going to do? And he's like, well, I need you to give me a name. You know, I got two people for you. I need a third. And Arya, so smooth, so swift on her feet, she gives him his own name. He's like, I can't, you can't do that. That's dishonorable. A girl gives a man his own name. And she's like, tell you what, I'll let you out of it if you get us out of here. And he's like, well, then I'd have to take out more than one person. I only and she's like, okay, I'll give you your own name back. And he's like, oh, you got me. I, I like you and loathe you, Arya, just like all of us. He's like the audience in this situation. Because he's like, oh, Arya, you're the best. Then we're back with Podrick, and he's serving Cersei and Tyrion, and they're having dinner together. I think they're having a lamprey pie. And she says, after you leave, she says, well, that's an odd little boy you got there. And T- Tyrion says, I have a certain sympathy for odd little boys. And uh, she says, oh, I thought that was Varys. And he says, this is an excellent pie you got. And then she's like, I hear Joff's going to fight in this battle. He's just a boy. He's not ready. His place is not on the battlefield. And Tyrion's like, I'd say it's not either. She says, do you think I'm an idiot? He says, no, I think you're of above average intelligence. Just any interplay with them, especially this season, is delicious. And it just gets, oh boy, it takes this turn here that's so wonderful. And she says, you know, do you know why Varys is so dangerous? And she's, you know, because he doesn't have a cock. 
And she says, neither do I. Or he says, he says, neither do you. And she says, yeah, so you better watch out. You know, you do too much thinking with that thing. And then she's smiling. He says, why are you smiling? She says, because I'm happy. And she's like, I have your woman. And, you know, so I have the upper hand now. So if anything happens to um, Joff, you know, it'll happen to your, to your little prostitute friend. And Tyrion's like, oh, man, table's turned. And she says, a Lannister always pays her debts. I love how she says, a Lannister always pays her debts. And he says, I'm not worried. She says, you're usually a better liar, baby brother. And then she says, Sir Mandrian or Sir Mondrian or somebody, bring him in, bring her in. And it's Roz. It's not a... It's not Shay, which it's like, oh boy, poor Roz. Uh, I think it was Roz. Well, Tyrion's like, oh, thank goodness. And then we we see a meeting with Rob and Roose Bolton. Now, this Roose Bolton guy, you guys may, may or may not know my feelings about him, so I won't make those known. But his voice, he's another one. If you, you give, give him a podcast where he talks about uh, bacon bits, you could, you could talk about bacon bits, ingredients of imitation bacon bits, and I would tune in every week because he's got a lovely voice. And Rob's trying to figure out what to do with Theon Greyjoy because uh, Bruce Bolton's sending his, uh, his son, his uh, half-son, to, to intervene. And Rob's like, well, let's just keep let's not do anything rash. And Roos is like, a touch of mercy is is a virtue too much. And Rob's like, no, 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 we're going to, you know, get Theon's men to turn on him. Then Lady Talissa shows up, and Roos is like, oh, boy. He may, still makes that face like, what are you doing, kid? You know, we're in the middle of a war here, and you're romancing this lady. And then they kind of have a moment. Rob tells her it's so hard to be a king. It's rare pressure. And then she says, you know, she tells her story about how she was raised to be a proper little lady and play the heart, and they have this little uh, connection. And then she tells a story from her childhood of what uh, a story that changed her path. Her parents were out of town for a multi-day wedding, and she was in charge of her brothers real hot. They went swimming, and the brother almost drowned, but it was saved by a slave. And she was like, I could never work in a slave city again after, you know, this was somebody that should have never even touched my brother, but he almost sacrificed his life for my brothers. And then that story, you know, Rob was already, they're like, oh boy, let's get it on. And they they get it on. It takes a while because Rob's got some leather tied up shirt, which does not make good for a quick lovemaking session. But she was definitely in some quick removal outfit. Then we go to Hot Pie talking about pies in the oven. Him, Arya, and the other guy, they escape. And then we have a scene with my, my, my hero, my personal hero, Sir Davos. And he says, hey, Stannis, man, like if the wind holds, we'll be there in a day. And Stannis says, well, is the wind going to hold? He says, can't make a promise for the wind, your grace. And then Sans is like, let me you know, ask you, you know, everybody makes fun of you behind your back. They call you the Onion Knight because you're not really, you know, you're royal because of me. But, you know, no one thinks you're royal. You know, everybody thinks you're, you know, you're not royalty from your blood. And he said, well, my father was a crabber. People don't like shaking hands with crabbers. He goes, I, you know, I don't care. I live and let live, Stannis. I can't. 
And then Sans talks about uh, Davos, how Davos saved everyone's butt during the uh, Siege of Storm's End, I think they called it. And he brought, you know, he snuck in. Everybody was starving. They'd eaten everything living pretty much on the island. And he sneaks in Davos with the, well, they call them the onion eggs. It was mostly onions. But Davos is like, you know, well, let me make, you know, there was also meat, potatoes and salted meat, salted beef, I guess he says. And then, you know, Stan's like, well, at least on that night, every man in Storm's End wanted to kiss you that night. And another says, I was relieved they did not. Oh, shit, Davos. And then Stan's like, listen, buddy, when I'm king, I want you to be my right hand man, my hand. And Davos is touched. You can see he's like, oh, jeez, uh, wow. Then we have a scene up on the parapets, I think they call them, whatever, of the uh, Joff inspecting things, and he's acting tough. Tim Varys and Tyrion. And Joff's like, let's go just go get Rob. And Tyrion's like, we're about to be invaded. And Joff's like, hey, you know, I'm tough, man. We'll, we'll take out Stannis and Rob. And he's got all this swagger. He's like, I'm going to take Stannis out myself. And it's kind of sad because you know, you're like, wait a second, this kid's a, a wuss. And then he, he, we get a scene, a quick scene with Varys and Tyrion alone. And Tyrion's like, listen, man, Varys, what do you want? I need to know, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to defend this place with this idiot king. What, what do you want, man? What's your angle? And Varys like, well, if you're gonna, if we want to play this game, you need to tell me what you want. And then Tyrion talks about like how he never thought he would amount to anything, you know, because of uh, how he's treated by his family and how he's just treated like oh, they put him in church of the sewers. And now he's like, I love this Game of Thrones, man. I love being, you know, like, uh, you know, it's like chess with human beings. I'm good at it. And I enjoy it. And Varys is like, you know, me too, man. And I think you're pretty good. And they talk about the gods. And then Tyrion's like, well, where, where's the gods of tits and wine? And Varys is like, well, as a matter of fact, I think there is one over across the narrow sea somewhere. It was like a fertility goddess with 16 teats, uh, possibly the Summer Isles. And then they talk about uh, Danny and the dragons. And Varys is like, whoa, whoa, cowboy, let's worry about Stannis first. Then we have another scene, another killer, killer scene with Khaleesi and Jorah. And talking about dragons, he's like, listen, Khaleesi, I got a ship. We can get out of here. We're not going to get the dragons. And she's like, a mother does not leave her children. And at first he's like, well, well, well they're, not, they're dragons. And then she's like, no, 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 no. So they have it. And she's like, listen, man, these are, I'm not going anywhere. She says, don't you remember what happened when I went into the fire, the magic? You know, you remember that night? He says, uh, this devastating killer, killer, the look on his face. And the, he says, until my last breath, I will remember. Until I've forgotten my mother's face. Oof. Oof. And the look on his face, man. And she's like, all right, well, let's do this thing. And then we're back in the north. Theon's like uh, trying to play all the angles. The maester's like, something's going on. He sees uh, Osha sneaking food. And Theon's like paying. He's like, he gives his psyche. He's like, go bring some gold to that farm guy since we took his kids out. And Billy and Billy and Billy or whatever the kids' names were. 
And then the maester's like, oh, wait a second. Oh, shit, the kids are hiding, the kids are hiding in the castle. They pull the old uh, loop-de-loo where they sneak out and then come back and they're hiding out in the uh, tombs. And the maester's like, oh, that's a pretty good idea, Osha. And she's like, oh, yeah, I think so, too. And she's like, uh, you know, do you, he's like, do you think everything, we, we can't tell the boys what happened. And she's like, listen, this is a bonus scene that only I know about. She's like, listen, man, you got to talk to Rick and about these freaking walnuts. And he's like, what about Bran? Is, you know, is he going to find out about the shit? No, no, we won't tell Bran. And then you see this last shot of Bran. And, of course, Bran's, you know, got these visions, so he knows everything that's going on. And that's the end of the episode. I know I missed the, uh, the last couple of times. What are we, we going to talk about tonight? So what are we going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about the prince. We're going to talk internal affairs. We're going to talk about compasses. We're going to talk about obsidian. And maybe you find out who the Sir Mandarin is. And we're going to, of course, find out what's going on with Sir Pounce and have our prayers, all right? Thanks for listening. So there's a scene in this episode where Bron is uh, cleaning his fingernails and, uh, you know, distracting Tyrion. And Tyrion's like, you know, can you, why you got to be doing that? And I realized he, I was pretty sure he's using a compass and not the direction north, south, east, west compass, the math compass. And uh, it made me think of, like, my desire to track down the inventor of the compass and— um, poke holes in the guy, whether he's a living or I have to go back in time. And I'm sure it would be tough to tr- tr- track down the exact person I'm looking for. But I can't tell you now, hopefully we'll get to like the actual facts about the compass, but I can't tell you how many um, puncture wounds I suffered at the hands of these compasses because as a slob or a, I don't know the polite term is, I don't know if we've covered this part of my, you know, who I am, you know, blah, 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 who I am, my life story. But um, I've had it. It's hard. This is like a shameful thing to uh, admit. Luckily, I've been gotten past that with you guys. I trust you. But still, it goes beyond a a fear, at least of embarrassment, that like I'll be, you'll be judged. Because I was a judge my whole life, man. I'm over it. Is that I've just always been a, a a terribly messy slob slob like person. Um, I'm not so slovenly in appearance uh, because uh, you know I've you know again needs. But uh, um, other than that, and I, I guess as an adult, I'm like a little bit better. But starting at an early age. And I was a slob, or I guess that would be the term, or Mr. Messy. In grammar school, they called me Mr. Messy. And there would always get to a point in the school year, probably multiple times, depending on how psychotic the teacher was. And believe me, I had more than one psychopath, that they would dump my desk on the floor or make me take my desk to the front of the room and dump it out. Or uh, make me take my desk to the front of the room and dump it out or clean it. And I don't know how what what would happen, but my desk would always accumulate uh, papers that are supposed to go home and be signed, uh, papers of you know graded papers, pencils, pens, uh, damaged textbooks, uh, uh, food, um, toys, you know, uh, school supplies. 
mostly in a state of disarray. And I, I always started out with great intention. You know, I'm going to keep everything in my pencil box this year. I'm going to have two nice stacks of uh, like pencil shavings, pencil tips, erasers, eraser shave, you know, everything. And uh, I don't know. It's some sort of uh, – it probably is genetic. And someday I'll be vindicated. Oh, I had the slob gene, you know, get off my back. But anyway – we can go in. I can go in. I sure I can go on to that in more detail at some point. But it, um, once you got to the age, which I guess would be somewhere in middle school or early high school, where you started using one of these friggin' compasses. Uh, now my, went from going in grammar school. We didn't have de- uh, lockers, so we just had everything on our desk. We had one of those desks, you know, with the top that went up, and then you could whatever. Some people might relate. Some people. But um, and then in middle school and high school we had lockers, but also backpacks. So I kept a lot. So between my locker, which was again, you know, vic, uh, you know, I was a, uh, it, people would say you're not a victim. You're saying you're a victim. You were a slob. Like people hate slobs. I don't know, and it makes adults crazy. Um, so maybe this is like why the compass was invented, or one of the the cheap high school middle school compass with it's just metal. No protective covering. Maybe there was like a lawsuit after I got out of high school and now they're protected. But I would put this thing in my backpack. I'd forget about it. And it would eventually make its way where the, um, and maybe sometimes I was, you know, after the third or fourth time, I'd put a racer on there. But anyway, it would, it would happen. My backpack would have like tons of books in there, library books, books I was reading, you know, books I was supposed to be reading. You know, and then a lot of papers and stuff. So the compass would get lost, and then it would be sticking out. and And then I'll put my backpack on it, would like poke into my, you know, back. It never penetrated my spine, luckily, or my lungs, or thigh. I took a couple hits on the thigh, and then, but also it would have been lost. So then I probably would have got another one. So then at some point I'd be digging around in my locker, and it would, you know, poke into my freaking hand. And you know, I have fear. I would just. You know, be like, okay, well, I'll get over this uh, penetration by a compass, compass puncture wound. But to say I hate compasses is is like an understatement. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I got nothing against a compass in the normal human's hands. It wasn't that I, I, I set out to be a slob or a mess. It just ha- it just it just just happens. Okay, so let me just get that out there. Judge, hold your judgment phone. It would just, I would have like the, whatever the friggin' pencil bag in my backpack. And, and then it would, it would, um, it was like some sort of cosmic slobbery I have. And it would just, uh, I don't know. I can't help it. And every, uh, it's been a, you know, I can hear your brains thinking like, Jesus, guy, if you would have just had a system, there's no system for me. Um, the system is, and then now as an adult, I've had to explain to people. And the thing is, I'm not like, um, what do you call it, a uh, um, hoarder type person. I don't collect stuff. I don't like. I'm a I'm a, ideally a minimalist. I, uh, you know, sometimes I'll have some stuff, books, most mostly books, but uh, you know that I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get around to reading that. But it's just like the stuff I have. But then once I did that time as a janitor. I realized I could keep things clean even if – so it was like, oh, wait a second. I'm not – I mean, as an adult, I got criticized. There was some – it was like, oh, if you weren't living with me, you'd be in uh, – um, what do you call it? Uh, living in squalor. And she was probably right about that. But 
And in some sense, she was probably right, but I, I think I don't live in squalor. Um, I guess I just like chaos. I don't know. I mean, this podcast, if it wasn't for chaos, I wouldn't have a pot, boring podcast. Uh, so what was my point? Let's check the time. Uh, what is a compass used for? I know it's, it's one of those stupid things. Oh, and not the plastic compass with like the half moon. I think that might, is that a compass too? You guys know I'm talking about the one that's got the pencil on one end and the uh, pointy thing of doom on the other end. Okay, so what are its uses? It's to make a freaking circle. Circle can be made by fastening one end to the compass. The radius of the circle can be adjusted. Thank God for computers, I guess. Because it's like, what the hell are you what the hell was it for? And it didn't matter anyway. A compass isn't going to help me make. It's another thing. Along being a slob, I can't make a straight line. Or uh, even with a compass, my angle would be off. And uh, those of you that have seen my handwriting, I've done the SASC thing. You might think, as many a person has, oh, you, you know, we'll just, you could be learned how to do handwriting or you could learn to write. No, I can't. I'm sorry. It's not a uh, some sort of uh, I don't know. You know, it's the way my brain operates at this point. And it's not like a fear. I just like uh, feel like, well, you're just resistant to change. You you slow down. No, I have some sort of uh, you know damage to my arm that causes my poor handwriting, along with the brain brain slob issue. So. Oh, boy. I'm not angry about it except that the compass inventor. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating that you guys will abandon me. I know it's not the case because hopefully you're asleep. But just picture a poor little boy like that mud kid on Charlie Brown. Uh, I, I was mostly clean most of the time, but I was just uh, like uh, instead of like Mr. Messy, they just called me Mr. Chaos. It's a thing, and uh, but nothing sets a clean freak off like a person. Like they're like, "What the hell?" And at that time, I you know I was also slob as far as my uh, appearance goes. I would normally you know if I wear a tucked-in shirt, you know I'd have the uh, shirt. Uh, was that slit? What's that thing called? The shirt um, legs or whatever coming out of my fly inadvertently. You know, shirt button the wrong way, probably eggs or something. But I still have, um, the last thing that I can move on is that uh, still my clothes accumulate stains like uh, like magnets. Uh, so I can't really own anything. Like the other day someone said, oh, do you have a, a new, new set of pants there? And I said, come over here, take a little bit. I said, yes, they are. But come on over, take a little closer look. And then you get closer, you're like, oh boy, would you uh, roll around in some fresh tar there? So, I don't know. Thanks for listening. All right, one thing I know I thought maybe this episode may think of is uh, it's the Prince of Winterfell, which is uh, what's his name, Theon. And then I was like, okay, there's a prince. I know about the book The Prince by Machiavelli. I was like, isn't there like a book, like a kid's book with a kid standing on a planet called The Prince? And then, of course, you know, I looked, I had to look it up. So that's The Little Prince. So we'll, let's 
briefly touch on both. The Little Prince is by uh, Antoine de Saint-Exprit. Antoine de Saint-Exprit. Something like that. And uh, The Little Prince, uh, La Petite Prince, is first published in 1943. It's a work of uh, novella. I guess a work of novella. It's a novella, and it's the f- most famous work by French French aristocrat, writer, poet, and pioneering aviator Antoine Dasson Lespoury, who was uh, wow. It looks like this was published a year before his his passing. The novella novella is the most read and most translated book in the French language. And wow, really and was voted the best book of the 20th century in France, translated in more than 250 languages and dialects, as well as Braille, selling 2 million copies annually, with sales over 145 million. It's become one of the best-selling books ever published. This is all from Wikipedia. After the outbreak of the Second World War, Saint-Esprit became exiled in North America. In the midst of of personal upheavals and failing health, he produced almost half the writings for which he would be remembered, including a tender tale of loneliness, friendship, love, and loss in the form of a young prince fallen to earth. An earlier memoir by the author had recounted his aviation experience in the Sahara Desert and is thought to have drawn on those experiences for the little prince. Since its first publication in the United States, the novella has been adapted for various art forms, including media, audio recordings, radio plays, live stage, film, screen, television, ballet, and operatic works. I, I honestly, I don't remember this book. Maybe I didn't read it. I don't, I'm not sure. The Little Prince is a poetic tale with water, spoiler alert. Uh, with watercolor illustrations by the author in which a pilot stranded in a desert meets a young prince fallen to earth from a tiny asteroid. The story is philosophical and includes social criticism, remarking on the strangeness of the adult world. Man, maybe they kept me from reading this, because I agree. It was written during what, when he was had fled France, skipped that. The adult fable, according to one review, is an, actually an allegory of saint Osprey's own wife, his search for childhood certainties and interior peace, his mysticism, his belief in human courage and brotherhood, but also an allusion to the tortured nature of their relationship. Whew, I hear that. Uh, ostensibly styled as a children's book, The Little Prince May. I should have done this as a children's podcast, this whole thing. I'd be after maybe someday. Well, too late. Uh, I'm just a boring podcast guy instead of the. Uh, Brilliant child bedtime story. Al- well, man, what are you going to do, you know? Uh, Little Prince makes uh, several observations about life and human nature. For example, uh, tells of a fox meeting the young prince during his travels on Earth. The story's essence is contained in the lines uttered by the fox to the Little Prince. One seerly seek only one. <laughs> one sees clearly only with the heart what is essential is invisible to the eyes. Other key messages are articulated by the fox, such as, you are responsible forever for what you have tamed. And if it is the time you have lost for your rose that makes your rose so important. 
Fox's messages are arguably the book's most famous quotations because they deal with human relationships. We'll skip the plot just, you know, to keep the spoilers to a minimum. There's a fox in it. So there's plenty more about uh, The Little Prince in there. So that's interesting. And uh, I'll have to probably have to check out this book because I do not remember it from my childhood or my adulthood or my childlike adult existence. But what about something darker than a a young boy prince falling from an asteroid to a world that doesn't care? What about like actively? What about The Prince by uh, Nicola? Nicolo? Uh, the, the Prince by Machiavelli. The Prince is a 16th century political treaty. Treatise? Treat, treatise? What do you guys say? Treatise? By Italian diplomat and political theorist Niccolo Machiavelli. From correspondence. Uh, boring. Princes sometimes claim to be one of the first works of modern philosophy, especially modern political philosophy, in which the effective truth is to be taken to be more important than any abstract ideal. It was also in direct conflict with the dominant Catholic and scholastic doctrines of time concerning how to consider politics and ethics. Although it's relatively short, the treaty treatise is the most remembered of Machiavelli's works and the one most responsible for bringing the term Machiavellian into usage as a pejorative. It also helped make Old Nick an English term for the devil and evil and even evil, and even contributed to the modern negative connotations of the word politics and politician in Western countries. In terms of subject matter, it overlaps with the much longer discourses on Levy, Livy, which was written a few years, blah, blah, blah. The descriptions within the prince have the general theme of accepting that the aims of princes, such as glory and survival, can justify the use of immoral means to achieve those ends. Here's a quote from Wikisource. This is all from Wikipedia. He who neglects what is done for ought to be done sooner affects his ruin than his preservation. He who neglects what is done for ought to be done sooner affects his ruin than his preservation. And there's a, there's a lot of stuff in here. It's a pretty dense Wikipedia article. Let's see. The types of political behavior which are discussed with apparent approval by Machiavelli and the prince were regarded as shocking by contemporaries and its immortality, immorality and its immorality is still a subject of serious discussion. Although the work advises princes on how to tyrannize, Machiavelli is generally thought to have preferred some form of free republic. <laughs> yeah, that's what we have. Yeah. Some commentators justify his acceptance of immoral and criminal actions by leaders by arguing that he lived during a time of continual, continuous political conflict and instability in Italy and that his influence has increased the pleasures, equality, and freedom of many people, loosening the grip of medieval Catholicism's class, classical teleology, which, which disregarded not only the needs of individuals, but also the wants of common man, but stifled innovation enterprise and an inquiry into the cause and effect relationships that now allow us to control nature. Can we blame him for all everything, then? Holy mackerel. On the other hand, Strauss notes that even if we were forced to grant that Machiavelli was essentially a patriot or a scientist, we would not be forced to deny that he was a teacher of evil. Furthermore, Machiavelli was too thoughtful 
not to know what he was doing and too generous not to admit it to his reasonable friends. Machiavelli amplifies the need for realism as opposed to idealism. The prince does not explain what he thinks the best ethical or political goals are, except the control of one's own fortune, as opposed to waiting to see what chance brings. Machiavelli took it for granted that would-be leaders naturally aim at glory or honor. He associated these goals with a need for virtue and prudence in the leader, and saw such virtues as essential to good politics and indeed the common good. That great men should develop and use their virtue and prudence was a traditional theme of advice to Christian princes, and that more virtue meant less reliance on chance was a classically influenced humanist commonplace in Machiavelli's time, as Fisher says, even if somewhat controversial. However, Machiavelli went far beyond its other authors in the time, who in his opinion left things to fortune and therefore bad rulers because of their Christian beliefs. He used the words virtue and prudence to refer to glory-seeking and spirited excellence of character. In stark contrast to the traditional Christian uses of those terms, but more keeping with the original pre-Christian Greek and Roman concepts from which they derived, he encouraged ambition and risk-taking. So in another break with tradition, he treated not only stability but also radical innovation as the possible aims of a prince in a political community. Managing major reforms could show off a prince's virtue and give him glory. He clearly felt Italy needed major reform in his time, and this opinion of his times widely shared. So we we could go on reading that for uh, forever, and uh, it's interesting stuff. Um, it sounds like a, a kind of choice between a frying pan and a fire, and we got both. I don't know, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. This might be over my head. So it's a little prince and the, the prince, uh, though, uh, I don't know. Are we, it feels like we've fallen off an asteroid at some point, but maybe we have not. And that we, or that we're wandering in a desert or, um, maybe, we, maybe he's the fox and we're the desert. Or we're the prince and he's the fox. Or we're the fox. I don't know. Let's move on, okay? So another thing that came up uh, was when Circe and Tyrion are having dinner. And he's like, oh, this is great lamprey pie. And I was thinking, wow, is that the same lamprey that ruined the Great Lakes? Is it an invasive? Did it come from Westeros? Was that where? Because it's an invasive species. And it was one of the first invasive species I had the misfortune of... uh, learning what that word meant because they were really messed up the Great Lakes near where I grew up in uh, upstate New York. And I spent a, a fair amount of time up at Lake Ontario. So I looked up a little lamp reaction, and this was actually on Syracuse's newspaper, Syracuse.com. And it's from, uh, it looks like it's from the outdoors writer David Figura. And this article is from April 19th, 2013. And it's called Eating Sea Lamprey. They're not bad to stomach after you cut the head off. There's two sides to sea lamprey, according to Lars Rudman, director of the Cornell Cornell Biological Field Station in Bridgeport. On one hand, they attach themselves using their mouths to the sides or bellies of fish and use their raspy tongues to drill a hole and suck out their host's bladdily fluids. 
State Department of Environmental Conservation officials noted recently these parasitic, prehistoric-looking aquatic creatures are causing big problems for Cayuga Lake's trout fishery. On the other hand, these gruesome-looking creatures are very edible, Rudman said. They have a different taste like squid. The French eat them with delight. England, Henry I died while eating a large meal of lampreys, Rudstam said. And some of the Native American tribes out on the Pacific coast eat lamprey and are concerned about their decline there. They're not a bad food fish. They hardly have any bones. You can cut them into chunks, he said. Rudstam, who teaches a course in fishery ecology and conservation at Cornell University, each year brings his students to the Bridgeport Field Station for a day to learn research netting techniques on Oneida Lake. This year's outing is scheduled for next weekend. He said it always ends with a dinner featuring several fish dishes, including lamprey, lamprey, bordelais, bordel, 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 including lamp, lamprey, including lamprey, bordelaise, bordelaise, bordelaise. B-O-R-D-E-L-A-I-S-E, which Rudston takes delight in preparing. I make this wine sauce and then boil it down, he said. I add the chunks of lamprey and then various spices. Sea lamprey, sea lamprey, which manage to survive in both salt and fresh water, are found throughout the eastern and western seaboards. In New York State, they are in Oneida, Cayuga, and Seneca Lakes, the Seneca, Oswego, and Oneida Rivers, along with Lake Champlain. They're also found in Lake Ontario, Lake Ontario, and all the Great Lakes, as well as the St. Lawrence River. As larvae and juveniles, the freshwater ones stick to the stream or tributary where they were hatched and burrow in the mud and filter feeding off passing organic materials, staying put from anywhere from three to four years. It's only during the last 18 months of their lives they develop their teeth-coated suckers and go out in larger waters in search of prey. An adult lamprey, which can measure anywhere from 12 to 20 inches, can kill up to 40 pounds of fish during its lifetime. They don't always kill the fish, though. A lot of times you see fish with scars on them. At a recent State of Eastern Finger Lakes meeting, State Department of Environmental Conservation official noted the lamprey situation at Cayuga Lake is the worst it's been in several decades. Some 80% of the lake trout handled by anglers last summer on the lake... Some 80% of the lake trout handled by anglers last summer on the lake either had lamprey attached or showed lamprey scars. Next year, the DEC is planning to treat the inlet, where most of the lake lampreys spawn, with lampricide. Oh, great. In addition, DEC staff each year uses a Cuga Inlet fishway, which provides an unpassable barrier in normal water comp conditions to trap and remove spawning lampreys. They are then deposited at the local landfill. Well, that's going to be interesting, you know, when the lamprey creature comes. Rudstam got his lamprey for his oak, oak, upcoming dinner at the DEC-run Fishway. They're currently being kept in his freezer at home. He said the Great Lakes Fishery Commission kicked around the idea of trying to develop lamprey as food fish, but dismissed the concept because the lamprey are on the top of the food chain in most waterways, and they're full of contaminants, he said. Thanks, Prince. Mark Gaydon, a, spoke, a spokesman for the Fishery Commission, said there's been talk since the 1940s about commercializing and selling lamprey for food, but said that they prove difficult to catch in bulk quantities and are difficult to process and transport. They taste best fresh, he said. 
In addition, being at the top of the food web, they have a propensity to accumulate mercury in their system. The end result is there's a lot of other valuable fish in the Great Lakes we should be working to protect. Trout, salmon, walleye, and perch, he said. Lamprey are incredibly noxious, destructive pests that knock the stuffing out of fish in the Great Lakes. Now we're in the business of minimizing their presence. John Golke, a fishing guide on Kingo Lake, whacks up Rudstam. Lamprey are extremely edible, he said. I never would have done it, but one of my clients wanted to keep and eat a lamprey that came up attached to the trout, Golke said. Later he raved about it, and I said I'd eat them by the pound and said... <sighs> Later he raved about it and said he'd eat them by the pound if he could, so I decided to try one. Golke said he beheaded it, gutted it, rinsed it, and cut it into pieces. He sautéed it in butter with salt and pepper. Very pleasant, firm, yet not chewy. It reminded me of eating scallops, but it was sort of a clam taste, he said. Once you take off the nasty-looking head there, much easier to prepare on a mental, physiological level. And then there's a nice little lamprey uh, recipe in there for you to check out. So that's lampreys. No lamprey pie recipe, though. But I'm sure you could come up with something with the wine. You know, you make a little, uh, what's that, chicken pot lamprey pot pie. All right, so Horn Halfhand tells Jon Snow to, like, become an inside agent for the Night's Watch by pretending to be disloyal to them or something like that. I don't know. We'll have to see how it plays out. But anytime there's like a double agent situation, and I've mentioned this movie on the podcast before, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm not saying it's one of the greatest movies. It's one of my favorite movies to watch of all time. And it's a movie that inspired the movie or the the movie De- The Departed by Scorsese starring Leo and Matt Damon and Marky Mark, Alec Baldwin, they were all in this movie, The Departed. Jack Nicholson is based on the movie Infernal Affairs, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I highly recommend checking it out if you can watch it, watch it in subtitles. I don't know if there's a dubbed version. You want to watch it in subtitles and just settle back to watch some beautiful acting, some twists, some turns. Oh, but I'll just read you the um, Wikipedia article, but I highly recommend it. Infernal Affairs. All right. Infernal Affairs is a 2002 Hong Kong crime filler, uh, 2002 Hong Kong crime thriller film directed by Andrew Lau and Alan Mack. I think he might go by Andy Lau. This is all from Wikipedia, by the way. Uh, it tells the story of uh, double agents. I don't want to tell you too much about what it means. The Chinese title means the unceasing path, a reverence, a reference to Avicii, the lowest level of hell in Buddhism, where one endures suffering incessantly. The English word title, the English title is a wordplay combining the law enforcement term infernal, internal affair, combining the law enforcement term, combining the law enforcement term internal affairs with the adjective infernal. Due to its commercial and critical success, Internal Affairs was followed by a prequel, Infernal Affairs 2, and a sequel, Infernal Affairs 3, both released in 2003. Pre-release publicity focused on its star-studded cast, Andy Lau, Tony Leung, Anthony Wong, Eric Tsang, Kelly Chen, and Sammy Chang. But it later received critical acclaim for its original plot and its concise and swift storytelling style. The film did exceptionally well in Hong Kong, where it was considered a box office miracle and heralded as the revival of Hong Kong cinema, which at the time was considered 
to be direly lacking in creativity. The film had been selected as a Hong Kong entry for Best Foreign Language Film at the 76 Academy Awards, but was not nominated. Infernal Affairs was remade by Martin Scorsese in 2006 as The Departed, which went on to win the Academy Award for Best, Best Picture. I don't want to tell you about the plot, but you should definitely check it out. Reception. Infernal Affairs was released on December 12, 2002 to Hong Kong theaters to universal critical acclaim. Review tallying website Robot and Tomatoes reported that 57 of the tallied 60 reviews were positive for a score of 95% and a certification of fresh. It won 7 out of 16 awards it was nominated for at the 22nd Hong Kong Film Awards, beating Hero for Best Film Award. It also won Best Picture Awards in The Golden Horse and other, you know, it won, it won a lot of awards. And also, I can tell you is I really recommend it. If, if you haven't seen The Departed, I 100% recommend it because then you're, you're going to be really surprised. It is a crime thriller, so it's not, it's probably rated R and it's not for the faint of heart, but it has like, oh, the acting of the three principal characters or the five principal characters, depending on how you're looking at it. It's just, oh boy. So settle in, you know, a little movie action. And, uh, you, you know, you can, and I mean, I love Martin Scorsese. I like Leo. I love uh, Jack, you know, Matt Damon. I don't know why he's not a, you know, Leo, Jack, Matty D. Damon D on the back. Uh, got Marky Mark in there. Yeah, Alec Baldwin. Uh, I love all those people, but that, uh, Infernal Affairs is better, in my opinion. Better movie. I love it, but, but, but that could just be me. But I don't know. So that's Infernal Affairs. And it gets tripped up because you think Internal Affairs, and then that's like a Andy Garcia movie. No, this is Infernal Affairs, Andy Lau. Okay, thank you. All right, Obsidian. They find this dragon glass, and it's Obsidian. So I said to myself, I know that's volcanic glass, but let me, re, you know, let's look it up anyway. So this is on Wikipedia. Obsidian is a naturally occurring volcanic glass Formed as an extrusive igneous rock, it is produced when felsic lava extruded from a volcano cools rapidly with minimal crystal growth. Obsidian is commonly found within the margins of rhyolithic lava flows known as obsidian flows, where the chemical composition, high silica content, induces a high viscosity and polymerization degree of the lava. The inhibition of atomic diffusion through this highly viscous and highly viscous and polymerized polymerized lava explains the lack of crystal growth. Obsidian is hard and brittle. It therefore fractures with very sharp edges, which were used in the past as cutting and piercing tools, and has been used experimentally as surgical scalpel blades. Origins and Properties The translation in English of natural history written by the elder Pliny of Rome shows a few sentences on the subject of a volcanic glass called Upsian, so named for its resemblance to a stone found in Ethiopia by Upsius. Obsidian is a rock formed as a result of cooled lava, which is its parent material, having a low water content when newly formed. Having a low water content when newly formed typically less than 1% of water weight, becomes progressively 
hydrated when exposed to groundwater forming perlite. Tectites were once thought by many to be obsidian produced by lunar volcanic eruptions, though a few scientists now though few scientists now adhere to that hypothesis. Obsidian is mineral-like, but not a true mineral, because as a glass, it is not crystalline. In addition, its composition is too complex to comprise a single mineral. It is sometimes classified as a mineraloid. Although obsidian is usually dark in color and similar to mafic rocks such as basalt, obsidian's composition is extremely felsic. Obsidian consists of mainly silicon dioxide, usually 70% or more crystalline rocks with it. Obsidian's composition include granite and rhyolite. Because obsidian is metastable at the Earth's surface, over time the glass becomes fine-grained mineral crystals. No obsidian has been found that is older than the Cretaceous Age. The breakdown of obsidian is accelerated by the presence of water. Pure obsidian is usually dark in appearance, though the color varies depending on the presence of impurities. Iron and magnesium typically give the obsidian a dark brown to black color. Very few samples are nearly colorless. Colorless. In some stones, the inclusion of small white rad- radially clustered crystals of crystobalite in the black glass produce a blotchy or snowflake-like pattern. Snowflake obsidian may contain patterns of gas bubbles remaining in the lava flow. Aligned along layers created as the molten rock was flowing before being cooled. These bubbles can produce interesting effects, such as golden sheen for sheen obsidian. An iridescent rainbow-like sheen, rainbow obsidian, is caused by inclusions of magnanite nanoparticles. Obsidian can be found in locations which have experienced rhyolithic, rhyolithic, Rilo, ri, 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 rheolitic eruptions that can be found in Argentina, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Canada, Chile, Georgia, Greece, El Salvador, Guatemala, Iceland, Italy, Japan, Kenya, Mexico, New Zealand, Peru, Scotland, Turkey, and the U.S. Obsidian flows, which may be hiked, are found within the calderas of the Newberry Volcano and Medicine Lake Volcano in the Cascade Range of western North America and at the Inyo Craters east of Sierra Nevada in California. I'll have to check that out. Yellowstone National Park has a mountainside containing obsidian located between Mammoth Hot Springs and the Norris Geyser Basin. And deposits can be found in many other western U.S. states, including Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, Utah, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. Obsidian can also be found in the eastern U.S. states of Virginia, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. There are four major deposit areas in the Mediterranean. Lipari, Pantelaria, Palmarla, and Monte Archi. There's, you know, other places. First archaeological evidence and known usage of uh, obsidian was within uh, Carianducci and uh, other sites beginning of the uh, Archaean age, beginning 1.5 million years previously, dated 700,000 B.C., though the number at these sites were low. There was obsidian pottery 
There's a lot of other stuff about obsidian. A lot of interesting stuff with the question we need to ask ourselves is dragon glass. Why is it called dragon glass? Is it made by volcanic activity or dragon activity? Does that give it magical properties? And why was it buried by the first men enwrapped? And what does the horn do? That's a real big question for me. What's up? What's up with that horn in there? All right. So that's obsidian. Thanks. Hello, hello. Hello, this is Prince Tommen. Uh, Lord Tommen. Uh, you're Tommen. Tommen and Sir Pounce. The best friend a boy has ever had is Sir Pounce. And I am his best friend, Sir Tommen. The best friend a cat, you know, a cat could ever have. And we are telling you, I've been telling you the story of the best friends. A, a boy, wait, I forgot his name. I don't know. Did I learn his name, Sir Pounce? Sir Pounce was shrugged. Who lives below my chamber pothole in the dungeon? Who has uh, not been, uh, what it, they call it execute, whatever. He, we're his best possible friends ever. He's called to me a few times. And I, I don't, you know, it's so warm in my bed. I say, uh, call me later. I'll talk to you. It's warm in my bed. Uh, and he says, Bob, well, well, do you have a piece of bread down here? Uh, well, I'm innocent. Well, I tell you. And I say, okay, we'll talk to you later. And then I say, okay, I'm here to listen to you. And then this must be something for And then I say, okay, uh, get close. I have some bread. And then, oh, I'm a bad boy. I, you know what I probably did. Oh, dear. But then, then Sir Pounce and I are working on freeing him and clearing his name. Which, Sir Pounce, we, we should know his name. Do you know his name? Seriously. I don't know. What'd you say, Sir Pounce? Hold on. Wait, say that again, Sir Pounce. Hold on. A... 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 What? A... 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 Mom. A... A... Mom? Like a mother? A... Don. A... Don. A... 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 Don. A... Don. A... Man. A... Man. Oh, okay. A... Man. I think there was a Targaryen named A... Man once. But the A... Man, the boy who lives below my chamber pot, we've been working on his his thing with uh, Joff, so a couple things happened uh, lately. There was a part where he said, he said, come here, and I said, tell, so, so Pounce was telling me, let's find out where we know the days around when he was, would try to retrace his steps, so I followed Sir Pounce, because we listened, he said, go here, I went here, this is my day, and he went here, and then he went there, and I got so, it was so dull. Oh, I did not pay attention. He told it. So Pounce listened. So Pounce is very interested in this this case, I think, because he knows the milkmaid and, you know, but I was not, I, I, I was not as in, so I don't remember. He said they went to here. There was another guy. Oh, that's right. That was the thing. Um... Not Lintel Lannister, but another guy. Oh boy, what was his? I can't even. Anon, Amon, and uh, uh, okay, okay. So, so he told us all about this stuff. I did not listen to it. Lots of walking and saying I was here, and then he said, Well, I might have been over here. I don't know. I met the milkmaid here. 
I went. I said, I, you know, I, I, uh, he said, I, uh, something about it. I don't forgive. So I did not, I don't know what happened with that stuff. So Pounce probably does. Right, so Pounce? So Pounce is, not, is giving me a look like I'm a jerk. Okay, I won't pee on him again, so Pounce. And we're still men, are we still best friends? About? Okay, okay, so I'm still best friends. So Pounce just give me a look. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, so anyway, so then Joff calls, he says we're having a hearing about this thing because he, he's heard news that some people don't believe what happened. And uh, so J- Joff says that this, this Amon, Amon was, uh, he says uh, he's got all the info about where he was. And Joff, Joff says Joff was with him. That was it. It was Joff. He said, and we said, what? You're the king. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. I was once not a king. We're just, you know, and this is the guy I hang with. And he's a sicko. And him and, and Lintel backed him up. Lancel and Lintel said, oh, yeah, this Joff, uh, Joff, he, he, this guy, he wouldn't, he was always hanging around with Joff. And then, and uh, I said, really, Joff? And I asked the guy in the toilet, uh, the chamber pot boy, Eamon, well, you were friends with Joff? He said, no, no, no. Joff would come by and pick on me. And he would say, did you uh, sleep with any sheep at all today? And I would tell Joff, not today. Would you like to sleep with one of the sheep? And I said, what do you mean, sleep with the sheep? Well, that would sound wonderful. And, uh, and he said, really? Uh, Tommen, you probably could use a row. And... Uh, Mr. Bonson, right, right. You know, and, you know. and I said, okay, what well, And he said that Joff would uh, hit him usually. Or he'd say, hound, smack this boy. So then the hound, I said, well, what about the hound? If the hound was there the whole time, we could just find out where the hound was and ping that off of the hound and say, if the hound was here at this time, we know Joff and the a, 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 the uh, chamber pot boy in down there below. Whatever, what was his name again? Oh, okay. And so we, we uh, what was my point? My point was, so Joff put out this case against him. He said, uh, he told Joff that he was so sick of the milkmaid's beauty because she loved Joff. And he said, you know, that he had become evil from making love to sheep. And I said, oh, that was the other thing. What was making love? How do you make love? Because I wish I could make my mother love me like a way in a way that felt made me feel safe and comfortable because the ways as a fa- I don't even know if it's love when she says, Oh, Tommen Oh uh my cellar, my sister, she she she's uh she makes me feel safe and she is very nice to me and now she has been torn out of my life. So if I had any hope of knowing what love making is, it is gone now. But a sheep making love to a sheep, I don't understand. I don't understand how you make love. I, I understand my sister would give me, she'd say, Hi, Tommen. I don't worry about them. You're safe with your sister here. That was love to me. So, how do you make someone love? Make love. So, Pounce is saying, Never mind, move. So, he said that uh, he was, and then he said, that Him and the, this guy, uh, Amon and Joff and Lentil, went around. They went over to, See Lintel, then they went to see Lancel. 
And Lancel and Lintel back all this up, and they say, oh, yeah, they say, he told us all about the milkmaid. You know, he told Joff, and Joff, he was telling Joff the whole time, Joff, I need you, I got, you need you to trust me. You know, uh, you know, and then Joff would make some other thing. He'd say, and then he gave oral to a cow. And I'd say, well, what's oral means mouth, Sir Pounce. What does oral to a cow mean? Lots of confusing things over here. So it would start to make sense, and then Joff would say, and then he stopped to do this to, like, a, you know, to a cow. Or he said uh, something, I think it had to do with the butt in a cow, and a, a, a horse, horse butt or something. And then he would say, then he got more mad, and he wanted to, you know, he said, I told Joff all about this. I don't, so... I said to the boy one day when I was not going to the bathroom, and I said, hey, down there, Rerun, Rerun, can you hear me? And he said, Rerun, can you hear me? This is your king, your prince, Prince Tommen. I said, oh, oh, it's Amon. I said, what, Rerun? Yes, of course, I was Wondering, I don't understand what oral or uh, what's the butt thing called. You said anal, and I said, "What? What is that?" And then Sir Pounce said, and he said, "Well, are you going to help me or not? Are you just going to use use this hole in the ceiling to, you know?" And I said, "Well, I, Sir Pounce wants to help you. He's well, you know, yes, we're going to help you, of course." And Sir Pounce is on the case, and Sir Pounce said, "You know, Sir Pounce thinks Joff's a liar." And we believe you, but I just, why, what, 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 would we be friends if, I have no friends. Do you understand what that means? Sir Pounce is my best friend. Would you be a friend of mine if you were not down there? And he said, well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you, uh, it's strange, your behavior. You, I, you know, I, I didn't do anything to hurt you, but you continue to. Use that hole, even though you have people changing your chamber pots all day long, and and you call me to the hole, and then you use the use the peeing. And I said, I have not pooped on you, have I? He said, I, yeah, you have. Not today, though. Okay, well, so could we be friends? And he said, well, well uh, possibly if you don't go to the bathroom on me anymore. And I said, well, uh, hmm, that sounds very demanding. Friends don't demand things of kings and princesses and lords, do they? And he said, well, of course I could be a friend. So I believe this boy could be my second best friend. And I can't believe that Joff would ever do anything. Joff is a jerk. So Pounce and I... Hopefully there won't be any more boring parts where we have to go around and say, okay, is that true? Was this boy here with this sheep or this horse or this cow? And it turns out, so that's okay. That's what I remember. I don't remember the details, but I remember it's a doubtful that he could have done all those things. As we said, you know, they said something about three minutes for a cow and then a horse would take this long. And they said a boy could not do all those things that fast. Or And then Josh said, technically he could because I'm going to make Lentil do it. And then uh, Joff said, you know, Joff made Lintel do it, but then Lintel was uh, shaking and he couldn't run all the way back because he was so, he was shaking. And he said it was horrible. So it it may have been possible, but unlikely possible. 
So that's it. We're on the case. Me and my best friend, the best friend of boy who's ever had, Sir Pounce, and his best friend, Sir Tommen. And we are uh, helping this uh, Amon. He's uh, possibly going to be my second uh, second friend ever, which would be wonderful. If he, So I need to stop his execution for, and Sir Pounce wants to, Sir Pounce says uh, something like, it's right, it's right. I don't know why he says that. It's right. We got, do what's ripe. Do what's ripe. He says we need to do what's ripe or what's wipe. Something about that. I don't know. And then my mother said something about wiping and why I have an infection. So I don't know if what happens to that, all that has to what do what's ripe. So we need to do what's ripe. According to Sir Pounce, and he's my best friend, and I am not one question my best friend. So I will do what's ripe. And we will stop this boy, Riram, from being, you know, from being, he said framed, framed, framed. I, so, yeah, we're going to stop it. And Lintel, he is, uh, he's, uh, he, they said the uh, maestress, is a, he, he can only, there's something wrong with Lintel too. So he might be in that dungeon. I could, you know, I owe him a few peas. So that's it. Says so Lord Tom and Sir Pounce will be back soon to talk to you. Thank you. Good night. All right, it's time for my prayers. Uh, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller, Smith, Barkey. Oh, Jester. I miss anybody. I, you know, that was me uh, uh, praying in as usual. Your humble servitude. Uh, happy, almost happy new year, right? Like, I don't know, new moons, new earth and day, whatever you guys call it. I, I guess up there, you'd just be like, uh, a, you know, the a amateur night where they don't dress up like, uh, not Halloween. I don't know. Thanks, gods. I just want to say thank you as always. Just report in with an update on Operation, uh, Aristotle Stevens the Cat. Uh, you know, our plan to correct my mistakes in George R. R. Martin's world, you know, make those right, show respect for you gods out of, uh, how are you guys involved in it? Oh, you guys are making it possible. That's right. And by making, um, by doing your will, right, that, that um, right, so I'm just doing your will, exactly. Down here doing your will with the clearest of understanding of your wills. Is that what am I supposed to have a clear understanding of your wills or just a general? I get a vague, a general idea of, uh, you know, I'm trying to follow. You know, honest time, guys. I'm doing my best, okay? So I'm still working with this serial guy, and he's still a popular guy. So this guy is hot stuff. And he deserves it, to be honest with you. But a lot of people, there's people that are like, oh, this serial, he's, he's just because he knew, knows people, innkeepers, and he's got a history. He was part of some national, the public, uh, PP, NP, national public, uh, well, I think he was not in the NPR. That's the National Public Registry of uh, Rabble Rousers, MPRR. He was like, some of them, I don't know. But, you know, they don't know his dedication to his craft like I do, gods. 
because he's putting himself out there. He works, he researched these stories he's researched, and he's invested in it. So I have the, um, I, I don't he may be my, I would say he might be a god, but I don't want him, you guys, lightning bolting him. And he doesn't, he's not like, he just wants to do his job, tell his story. So please don't take him out out of, you know, please don't be jealous, gods. He's great. You know, take it, take me out. Take me out to the ball game. Or you could take me out if you want. But anyway, so I'm still doing the show. He gets everybody wound up, you know, with his tails. And then I come in, you know, and uh, people throw stuff at me still. You know, town to town we go. Word precedes us. Cereal and the Fool, they, they, they call it. Usually they even forget me on the signs or anything. I don't know if that's on purpose. Like, in, you know, it's like makes me even more. Or they say, uh, what's your name again? And then someone says, The Fool. And they say, wait, wait, you know, they have a whole. And I say, that's fine. It's the deal. I mean, Cereal says, you know, just do your thing, man. So I go out, they throw, so we got to this one town, um, round in town, I think they called it, big, cereal's huge, so we had to do it outside. And so I got hit with some pine cones, which was not good. And I didn't even, you believe this guy's pine, Barky, I didn't know pine cones could rot. You probably have to put them in something, right, to rot them. So I got hit with a combo of hard pine cones and uh, rotten ones and other stuff. Fine. So Sirio's doing his thing. So I said, you know, let me just give you the latest, uh, you know, in case you guys want to. So I say, I have a great thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone. Uh, you know, I'm Aristotle Stevens, a.k.a. The Cat, bringing you, you know, the uh, stuff. You you really, you're not as good as Sirio stuff, but, you know, we're bringing you down with little uh, soothing tones. And then, you're, you know, they hit me, you're, you're not soothing, you're... you're yeah, and a couple of times I fall, which is something I got to avoid because the innkeepers hate it because then people start laughing. And they're like, your job's to calm them down, man. No, you know, no entertaining. I say, well, I'm an entertainer. And they say, no, you're, you're a, you know, post-entertainer. You're like a, uh, you know, the guy that cleans up at the brothel. And I said, no, I'm not, I don't clean. And they say just, I don't know. I'm, I said, I'm more like the bed that the guy sleeps in at the brothel. And they say, whatever, man. And um, so I say, okay, let me do my thing here, guys. Hey, everybody, good evening. It's Aristotle Stevens here. Uh, you know, I'm here to, uh, we're going to talk tonight about some causes. Is everybody, who knows what a cause is? And, uh, and I said, like, when I said an owl, you hitting me with that was uh, the cause of my owl was your hard um, pine cone, sir. And him and his buddies, they they had something like a high five back in the day, so they do that. And then I say, and you, you know, the cause of my stench, ma'am, is your um, uh, stinky, uh, you know, st- what was that? A melon or a veg or a root vegetable? You hit me with, and then her, she cracks up, and I say, you know, so well, thank you uh, for setting up my. Uh, so tonight we're going to talk about what was just one cause. Could we trace back the causes to have a greater understanding of anything? Do you think we could do so? And again, I'm already, I know I'm in good shape when they're just staring. And some people, most people or some people's mouths are open. So I say, I'm going to tell you, a man is angry. 
a world is wild and a woman is sad. And we're going to investigate the causes because I do believe there's four causes to, uh, you know, uh, you know, each thing uh, that we can use to dissect the uh, you know, commingling of our uh, enlightenment. No, I've got, you know, I'm not even going to ask if you're awake, Crone. Uh, hopefully you're not. I said there's like four causes is like material, formal, efficient, and final. Like if you were building a house, you'd materials, you'd make it out of like my house, I'd make it out of rotten fruit. And then that would be the material, rotten fruit and then other stuff. And, you know, they said stuff. There's the people that still needed to do some catharsis, you know, you know, poop or whatever. And then I said, okay, that's the that's the material. The formal, I would have to figure out if anyone's done that. But, you know, I'd look at somebody that's made their house out of mud for, say, I follow the plans they use, but I wouldn't use mud. But maybe I'd put some mud in there. But I'd, you know, use somebody smarter than me. Of Anyone, you know, everybody. But someone would have some plans on how to build a house out of materials. So I would do that. The efficient cause would be me and all my friends that work on the house and my friends that I bring in that know how to, you, know, you got no, you know, this is set up, God, so it wasn't an accident that everything I say, they make fun of me. It's intentional. Well, I can't lie, you got, my, my, let's say it's intentional. And then I say, you know, okay, well, just me working on the house by myself alone. All by myself. Even that's in no mercy. Faith serves you right. You know, why don't you marry the house, the whole thing? And then I say, you know, and the final cause would be, you know, a house of made of uh, rotten vegetables that's more like a mound that's collapsed in on itself uh, that's not, you know, inhabitable would be the final cause. Uh, you know, a normal person, like one of you wonderful people, you'd have a whole house of wood and and such, and friendship, and love. Okay? But why, let's talk about this. Why is a man angry? Because as Aristotle Stevens, I, you know, work in ways, cat-like ways, of a mu- mu- musical, you know, heartfeltness. A man is angry because he's material causes of this angry man. He's lost everything to you. You see his heart's breaking, something and you took all this bacon or something. It's grief. It's loss. This woman's leaving him. Baby, she's leaving. If if she wants to leave, he says, you know, take good care. But it's the lot. Like it's the uh, material. Is uh, I mean, I don't know. It's a tough one of a heartbreak, but it maybe grief, maybe loss. I don't know. Well, what is the material of heartbreak? We've all felt it. Stuff like that, probably. Formal. What, what's the plan around this loss? She says she wants to leave. She wants to start something new. That that breaks his heart, and too, it's her plan to leave. Her plan to leave him and, and take good care. She's got a lot of dreams out there. That's that's the, the form, the plan that causes her to exit, to leave, our, leave a man angry and sad. What's the efficient cause of this? You know, what what what, what is it? Is it the woman who leaves? Is it is it is it? Uh, she says she has a lot of nice things to wear. Is it uh, 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 a lot of smile? Does she has a smile? 
Could that be it, everyone? Uh, we, we, you know, so it's things like that. And I already got, eh, never mind, got you probably sleep. Now, what is the, what is the final cause? It's that the man understands, he reaches the understanding that the world's bad. It's a wild world. That's uh, a bad, 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 a lot of bad things out there. And that he is like a child in its cruel hands. Uh, break his heart broken in two. And a man is angry because of that. Final cause is the the wildness of the world, uh, the badness of the girl, and the so you know. Now let's, let's let's flip the script, as they say, ladies and gentlemen, and talk about a sad woman, sad girl. Material causes of sad a sad girl was she hurt? Is she hurt? She's sad. Sad. Sad a material, you know, tears would be a material of sadness, a loneliness, sitting in a corner, staring, you know, baby, isolation, uh, a sad look, frown, frowny faces. And what's the form, formal reason? The, it's it's like the plan of a man who's trying to protect her. Say, well, I'm, I'll be your protection. I'm going to create a world, you know, that, you know, that there's a wild world out there. I'll just be the one that protects you and, and everything like that. Just, you know, I'll take, I'll, 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 you know, I'll do everything. You just lean on me. You just become dependent on me and everything will be okay. Cause that wild world out there, trust me, you're not out of my league. You know, just cause you have nice clothes and a smile, just stay here, please. It's not, you know, you're, you're sad out there. So it's his plan. To force her to stay, maybe something like that. What's the efficient cause, gods? People, you know, the man is the cause. His help is the cause. And his uh, constant his constant refrain of Lisa, Lisa, sad Lisa, Lisa, over and over again to try to make her sad, to make her uh, you know, to rely on him is the cause, the man his plan and said, Lisa, 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 Lisa. And what's, what's the uh, final cause is her, you know, him saying, you know, trying to hide and say, well, this is is like darkness descending on me, you, sir. So, uh, you know, this final cause is the the, the darkness. The aloneness being around you makes me want to hide. Being around you makes me feel lost in the dark. Uh, uh, Aristotle Stevens, she said to me one time, and then uh, so that's the final cause. And the world is wild. It's just like a child. I just feel like a child. I've lost everything. I, I don't know. Did I have a point? No. That's like those are the four causes. I, if anyone, no one was awake. God's no, no worry. I'm Aristotle Stevens. I'm here unrelated but following Serio, not related to him in any way other than he depends on me to get paid because, uh, you know, you guys are now all at ease and the innkeeper's collecting your money and you can go home. Can't stay here, but it's not my job. Uh, Good night and thank you uh, for your support, Aristotle Stevens. God, thank you for your support in the ways beyond my understanding. That I, you know, but I think I'm discerning your plan in the sense that uh, my boredom is helping this man 
tell us stories. And I know, oh, the other update was those two guys were there again staring at me. I'm positive it's Aristotle Stevens. I mean, Aristotle and Cat Stevens. But they didn't do anything. Wait, they were the ones that threw the pine cone. So maybe they're trying to take me out with poison pine cone. But I think they really, that really got them. They're the only two. Now that I'm thinking about it, they didn't even sleep. But I don't know, guys. We'll see. I think I'm going to really drive them nuts. And then I'm, huh, I haven't come up with a way to trap them or catch them. It's kind of like I called a bee to honey. No, well, the ants to honey. I don't know. So I'm going to work on that, guys. I'll figure out a way. Sooner or later, they're going to be waiting for me uh, when I go to the, uh, you know, they don't let me stay at the inn. I said, Cereal, don't you have, like, the best room with all the women coming by and all the fame and glory? And he said, well, you know, to be honest, I'm not making that much money. This isn't profitable as profitable as you think for my popularity. And, you know, it's just like a lot, you know, profitability is low. The, the, uh, um, he goes, yeah, I got a lot of buzz. It's nice. But he goes, you know, I'm trying to. So he goes, no, you got to, I can't pay. You know, I got to keep my overhead as low as possible. And I said, really, man? And he said, yeah, you could, you, you, you know, yeah. He goes, you, okay, yeah, bye. So the, so sooner or later when I go to sleep in like the log that I sleep in, the formerly the Maiden Love Machine 2.0, now the log that I stay in that surrounds me with warmth, They'll probably try to get me, but that's okay, guys. Anyway, guys, I know you're sleeping like all the other people. So, you know, that's it. Bring glory to your names. Sweet, sweet crone, Barky, Jester, Miller, Smith. Thank you for this opportunity. And um, uh, well, you guys didn't provide me with I thought we were going to get a guitar going. But, well, I guess this is, you know, maybe a helmet, Smith, Miller. Any chance of that? A helmet for the hard stuff? Just leave it outside my log. I'll be, you know, rolling around in the morning to try to get out because I get jammed in there to stay warm. All right, good night.